0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network,
1: your team every day. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Whoa, what a game. I'm going to tell you why it was more improbable than the Minneapolis Miracle
2: luke inman superior sports talk just booking my flight to glendale arizona february 12th <laughs> and done got it
0: tom Schreier's own coverage.com
3: i did prepare for this show can't promise i'm going to say anything insightful and i'm luke braun of locked on vikings and i still have absolutely no idea what to make of that game
1: <laughs> tom schreier pinch hits for Arif reef today on an epic edition of the minnesota football party locked on sports minnesota podcast. it's endless minnesota vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts it's time for the minnesota football party Unbelievable football game yesterday. We are all, I think, still in shock. I can't wait for the next hour to break this thing down. Uh, We've got Luke Inman of Superior Sports Talk. Check out his show this morning. He and I uh, rapped about this game for about a half hour. Check out the Locked on Vikings postcast with myself and Luke Braun yesterday in the immediate aftermath. And check out Tom Schreier's work at zonecoverage.com. He was on the ground in Buffalo covering yesterday's game in the snow globe at Highmark stadium. And Tom, you're the guest you were on site. So we give you the first word. I want you to paint me the picture of the press box. And I I assume (laughs) the adjacent crowd, what was it like in the closing minutes of that football game? It's
0: uh, so it's one of
1: those press boxes
0: where you're like in the crowd. Philadelphia's a little like that. Some of them you're pretty high up and pretty away from the 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 actual stands. So there were people turning around, and again, I don't know if they know like, you know, the Minnesota contingent is there or whatever. But kind of turning around, kind of jeering at the media. Um, you definitely could feel like in those big moments, they're stomping on the ground and stuff like that. You can feel the vibrations of that even with the the glass and kind of the soundproofing in the loudest moments, in the in the moments you can imagine uh, where the fans are really into it, um, it it's enough to kind of drill into your brain and make you want to <laughs> leave, I guess, uh, when you're just staring there trying to figure out what's going on on the other side of the field or whatever. But um, to go from that to, like, an absence of noise, obviously you talk about the end of the game, the pick with Peterson, but even that weird play where, like, the crowd is, like, they stop Kirk Cousins on, like, the half- footline or whatever that was to go from that euphoria where the Bills players are pumping them up to this play that's especially because I was looking at the other end zone where where Allen fumbled and Kendricks grabbed the ball. But even if you were right on top of that, that was an alert play by Kendricks. I don't know how a fan would have seen that. You just you feel the devastation. Like the, the Bills are kind of brethren to the Vikings, right? You talk about four Super Bowl losses, Cold Weather City, hard fans, uh part of me was like oh i i, I know what that moment feels like <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> and so like you feel it ripple throughout the crowd this is not you can go to arizona or miami or um certain locations braun you could probably talk about that that uh games in la and stuff like there's games where there's tons of purple and a big presence for the vikings there were vikings fans there it was a pretty minimal amount of that crowd it's crazy to go from like my head hurts. It's so loud in here. I'm feeling the vibrations over and stopping their feet to like dead silence and misery. And you you felt every part of it at that stadium.
1: Yeah, that's app. That's crazy. And I felt the same way covering the playoff game in new Orleans a few years ago. I want to get Luke and Luke's perspective on how they reacted in that moment. Today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.net, where the game starts, get all the lines, all the sports, uh, all the games at your number one source for sports wagering info coming up. We're going to have a evaluation of the Vikings defensive performance in this game. We're going to look at the key plays that decided it. And some of the subtle plays that you might've overlooked along the way. We're also going to talk about injuries and update our gambling uh, picks. Uh, Luke Inman, paint me the picture. You're watching the game. Where are you watching? How are you reacting as you see this craziness unfold?
2: Yeah, we got to enjoy that experience over at Tom's Watch Bar, which if you haven't been to, I think there's a couple new locations, Denver, Vegas. It's basically B-dubs on steroids, though, right? I mean, it's just a big – it's like the Mall of America of sports bars. It's insane. That was my first time being there. I was absolutely wowed at that place. Such a great atmosphere to watch that game. But just the swings of emotions, that place erupted. It was electric, people doing gritties. Similar to when I was at the Minneapolis, Miracle, you are now at the end of that game, high-fiving and hugging strangers that five seconds prior you had never met in your life. I mean, it just brought everybody together like that. And I think anytime you experience something that, you know, so many swings and ranges of emotion, and then you end up on the right side of things, you kind of wake up the next day thinking, Was that real? Like, pinch me. Did I dream that? I think we're all still trying to process, like, what exactly happened yesterday. And much like the Miracle Game and others, despite, like, the instant bliss we all have today right now, I don't think people are going to truly comprehend the magnitude of all the things that took place and the fact the Vikings will now be on the right side of what should go down as one of the greatest games to ever take place. In NFL history so just in the processing stage right now trying to digest it all and with everything that happens uh, I mean we'll do our best today during this hour but that could take weeks if not months
1: you wish you could bottle the euphoria and just relive it again because it was so cool to watch that football game whether you're Vikings fan neutral fan even Bills fans went through the gamut um Luke Braun what was your perspective
3: I mean, they're going to vacate this, right? It's too improbable. It was simply too... So they're going to take the weed away, right? They have to. Like, fair, right? Somebody was on drugs. It's insane. Someone was on steroids. I have... I, I don't... You will never again in your life see a team trailing by four, their opponent has the ball with under a minute and you don't have enough timeouts to stop the clock. You will never see a team win a game from that spot again in your life. Like it had to be specifically that it was a fourth and goal that gave them the ball without enough room to kneel down. So they had to try to actually snap it. But I guess even if they, if it was a kneel down, it was a botched snap, which you have to execute on a kneel down. Anyways, you'll you'll never see it again in your life. Like savor this. It's unreal. And like, to me, that's the most improbable moment. But I, I did a whole thing on On Vikings this, uh, this morning about like, All of that, like that improbable moment aside, this game came down to kind of who made more plays and the Vikings just made one more play than the Bills did and that's kind of the the end of it. So I don't want it to take away from the Vikings. It's just astounding how improbable that is.
1: Yeah, and I did some digging on that last night. So the pro football reference data goes back to 1994 no team has ever fumbled inside their own 10 <laughs> resulting in a score in the 28 years of data. Like it, within that time frame, it's never happened um, within the last minute of a game. I even extended it out inside your own 20 in the last two minutes. And it's only happened one time. Mitch Trubisky got stripped a couple of years ago in a game <laughs> against the Lions. Um, of course it was Trubisky.
3: <laughs> but <laughs> <this time laughs> the Lions. Yeah. 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 Bears, Lions, classic.
1: Um, (laughs) And ironically, they played yesterday. But this is the type of thing that just does – this is miracle at the Meadowlands kind of stuff. Yeah, That was the last time, I think, that in the last minute of a game, a fumble recovery like changed the lead. That was 44 years ago. And I was describing this to my wife yesterday. I said, you know how when they talk about natural disasters, they say, that was a 1-in-50-year storm right there. That was a 1-in-50-year game. Stuff happened that does not happen ever. Um, And there's a few different plays that you could say that about. So the play in the end zone was like one of a kind, may never happen again, may take another hundred years of NFL to have that exact scenario. The catch by Jefferson, we see a lot of catches, you know, that are, that are elite every week. And the fact that this just stands among them to such a degree, Tom, I mean, it feels like this will be considered sort of the next OBJ catch. We've been talking about OBJ as the gold standard for almost a decade Mm -hmm. now, and this might replace that in the lexicon when we talk about elite catches yeah be obj if he had a defender behind him
0: you know like that's i i think he kind of stole the ball think it was cam lewis or whatever i get you know like the the bills fans as they were leaving or whatever like we're missing four pro bowlers look at the the depth in the secondary or whatever i guess the vikings could kind of say the same thing look at like what happens when you take away dantzler and you take away evans who i think has been really impressive um but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when you're thinking great catch, I actually was thinking in, like, Vikings lore, like, is this – it has to be better than Greg Lewis. It's obviously, like, a more high-profile player. I get, like, where the team was in that instance and, like, farvid come and, like, you know, it, what the expectations were for the Niners that year and stuff. I think it's hard to compare context, but, like, this is huge. I mean, this is – when it was twenty seven ten, and you know, as a writer, you start kind of thinking in the second half where you're going with this. I was like, "Oh, this is where the Vikings kind of all their marginal victories catch up to them. Like they go play a good team that's hungry after a loss to the Jets that has all this energy that." um Allen comes in with that UCL injury, which would put out a pitcher, right? Like um, comes out of the tunnel, so much, so much energy in his home stadium. I'm like, this is where it catches up to him. The fact that they overcame that deficit at all and got to this point and that catch on fourth and 19 or whatever it was um, huge, huge play. So given the context, given the, the magnitude, how hard that catch was, I mean, it's incredible. I, I, I know people are hesitant to compare Moss, but it's like, Justin Jefferson can put himself in that conversation if he does this. He came out and said this week, he's like, they wanted me to replace Diggs. I went out and replaced Diggs. He's continued to say when he made that catch, uh, the triple team catch against Arizona, he's telling Kirk, throw me the ball, catch anything. And by the way, it looks like he will. Kirk just threw the ball in his general direction. He went up and caught a ball and with one hand took it away from the two hands of the defender. I I don't know. It's a, it was an immaculate, immaculate catch.
1: Yeah. Luke and Luke what would have been the number one catch in Vikings history from a difficulty standpoint before that one? Because I think Ahmad Rashad, you know, certainly a Hail Mary catch in 1980, Stefan Diggs, Minneapolis miracle, but like the difficulty of those catches was not close to what Jefferson did. So I'm trying to think, was there a Moss or a Carter or maybe even Greg Lewis? What was the number one catch before yesterday?
2: Yeah, those are the two that come to mind first off. But you're right, difficulty of the actual catch, maybe not on par with what Jefferson did. I think Moss leaping over Charles Woodson, one-handed on the sideline. Chris Carter, how many one-handed catches did he make diving out of bounds, tiptoeing, and gets his feet in for a first down? Uh, That Moss one over Woodson at home in the Metrodome versus the Oakland Raiders at the time, that one comes to mind. But, you know, if we went through the, uh, you know, all the Moss files, I'm sure I'm missing one or two, but that one always comes to mind as far as difficulty goes for me.
1: Braun, you're a historian. What do you think?
3: (laughs) There's got to be a handful (laughs) of Moss ones just sort of like rumbling around, um, like Moss and Carter ones. The Ahmad Rashad one is interesting because it was functionally a tip drill. So I don't like, is that harder? It takes a certain amount of reflex and processing. It's a way different thing. But like physically what Jefferson did is about the maximum that a human can be capable of. Like, I, I don't know how you do something harder than that. He went up with one hand and stole a ball away from, I mean, not an Instagram user. That's a NFL player. who <laughs> I would imagine it has a pretty strong hands. And took it with one arm, and then he like as he went down, like he palmed it like a basketball player, and that uh that bill's defender had two hands like trying to swat it out, and he couldn't that's superhuman. And it, it, that's it exiting space and physics.
2: Time. Like when we watched the replay for me, like it defied physics how that ball did not touch the ground. And I almost think without the defender there kind of cradling and, and, and almost pinching the ball between the two, um, he doesn't come down with that. Like just from sheer physics, mm-hmm. that that ball has to touch the ground at some point. So even watching the replay over and over, I, I'm just still blown away how that ball just didn't touch the ground at some point as he tried to come down with it. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I want to give Ron,
0: a. Who's- I was just real quick. I was half ready for Braun, who's done this whole history on the Vikings, to be like Sammy White in 1981. (laughs) We don't just. (laughs) I don't have one on top of my head.
2: October 18th, (laughs) it was a night game, West Coast. Sammy White, third and three. No, you know what? The defensive back was. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody. Five seven. Bobby
1: White shoes. Johnson.
2: Yeah, I (laughs) I think um, it was Luke in his post game yesterday. Said it perfectly. Like that's a catch. That's going to be put on posters for decades to come. You'll see it hanging in your kids' bedrooms for generations. And again, just given the circumstances, the down and distance, the game on the line, uh, Kirk was just sacked on back-to-back plays. Now it's fourth and 18. Uh, Kirk, just throw a YOLO ball up, will you? Finally listens. I think I can say with the straight face, it's the greatest catch since David Tyree in the Super Bowl. I, I really do. I honestly do.
1: Yeah, I think you might be right about that, Luke. I I think when you give situational weight to the moment, Mm -hmm. I think he was competing with Greg Lewis. Like, I think the Greg Lewis catch for that play to happen with Favre throwing it to win the game, coming from behind, I think that might have been the bar for me. And I think this equals, if not beats that, it wasn't a touchdown catch, but it was a much more impressive catch physically one-handed, an impossible conversion with a guy draped all over you. Um And it was one of nine. Luke, on you mentioned this on Superior Sports Talk. One of nine catches Jefferson had with less than a 50% probability of being caught per next-gen. We'll get into some more of those Jefferson catches and other big plays in this game after I tell you about betonline.net. Vikings came back and covered yesterday. Not great for my bills, minus the uh, three-and-a-half bet, but great for Vikings fans. Um You can get that line and plenty more and look ahead to the week 11 lines at betonline.net. It's your source for football betting. That's NFL and college football plus NBA and NCAA basketball now starting up. And I got an email from bet online yesterday. Jimmy Shapiro sends them right to my inbox telling me that the Cowboys are favored by two in Minnesota. That's interesting. We'll have to talk about that as well. You can get that line and more at bet online where the game starts. Um, where do we go next? I want to go to the goal line sequence to end all goal line sequences. So this starts with Jeff and guys, Jefferson made so many plays. So there was a, a, I want to say it was a slant over the middle where Jefferson goes up high and catches it right in the bread basket. I think it got him down to about the eight, um, two plays later the Jefferson catch at the goal line that was initially called the touchdown. Th- this sets off the bonkers sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, that catch was amazing in itself. Jefferson going down to the ground, cradling it looked like he scored um, from there. False start on the bills or offsides on the bills. Dalvin cook drops the ball. The Dalvin cook drop would be all we're talking about. Tom, if mm-hmm. the Vikings go on to lose that game amongst other things, but that would be a gigantic mistake in the game. If Minnesota doesn't go on to win it.
0: Yeah, no, I think this is a bit of a weird Vikings problem that sometimes it's like cook does something good, right? Like you go back to the the game against Washington. It was like a wheel route or whatever. He scored, you know, he catches a touchdown and, Going back to the preseason, like, we, we had seen him out wide and, and thought he had some catching capability, but he was put in a little bit of a tough spot, and I think it was like this – I get where, you, where you're going with this. Like, he should catch that ball. He's one of the star players. It would have been a narrative had this game not gotten completely out of control at the end. Um, having said that, it was just a little weird that I was like – sometimes when they'd have something rolling, you're like, wait, why are we going to, like, Delvin Cook here or whatever? Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're going to forget about so many moments of this game because it felt like it kind of like dragged obviously in the middle, like a lot of Vikings games do, and then just accelerated at the end, right? That last, I mean, I don't know what it is, like 20 minutes or whatever, feels like it happened in two because
1: of the lead changes and, mm-hmm. and how many non-traditional
0: plays, I guess there were at the end.
1: Yeah, the NFL posted the quote unquote "crazy ending on YouTube, like un- uncut." And it was 43 minutes, but it all, it was the last two <laughs> minutes of regulation and overtime it took 43 minutes. Like that's how long Vikings fan had to, had to sit in torture um, emotionally. But Luke Inman, it goes from Jefferson TD wiped away. Cook TD wiped away. Cause he dropped it. And then Kirk looks like he got across the goal line in real time. The replay shows he didn't, but it was basically three times where as a Vikings fan, your heart leaps. You think they've scored, and then to have it taken away—the gut-wrenching nature of of what could have been that loss, like with all of those plays right at the goal line.
2: Uh, you hire a Hollywood writer who makes blockbuster movies. <laughs> I don't think they can write it or script it any more dramatic. Like just the swings, the ebbs and flows during just those final two minutes were insane. And and not to ruin kind of the flow of of you know this bit and segment, but let's take a step back. There was actually a sequence of three drives that took place that are, are going to get glossed over a little bit here in history that mm-hmm. were just as wild, in my opinion. End of third quarter, heading into the fourth. Dalvin sparked some life into the Vikings with that TD they desperately needed. So now all of a sudden, you're, you feel like there's a chance, right? Like you've won close games before. You've battled back four fourth quarter comebacks already on the season. Down 10, heading into the fourth. It feels manageable. There's a little life. But then Josh Allen... The following drive, three massive, heartbreaking, demoralizing third-down conversions. Third and 15, he finds Diggs for that, at the time, at that point, the best one-handed catch of the game. Amazing. Uh, With that one-handed pluck out of midair, which again, just another play that's just probably going to get glossed over uh in, in history. Vikings sacked Allen the following second down by Hunter. They force another third and long, third and 16, I think it was. Allen rolls out. Of Zedaria Smith's grasp finds Gabe Davis for like 30 yards. Big chunk play. That's two heartbreakers. They force another third down. Allen finds Diggs. I think it was on a quick slant for like 15 yards. They get all the way down to the seven. Just like that. Poof. And third and two. Allen, I think, incomplete pass. Instead of just taking the points, they elect to go for it. Fourth and two. Allen rolls out again. Forces one. It's picked off by Patrick Peterson. He takes it back to like the 35. So after all those third down backbreakers by that defense, Bills come up empty-handed. Very next drive, I'm sure we'll get into the details a little bit, but Kirk chains and the offense converts two fourth downs. Hawkinson and Osborne, and then that scramble and run 20-25 uh, yards inside the five sets up the CJ Ham rushing touchdown. But Greg jo- Joseph misses the field goal. Should be a four-three uh, point deficit. It's a four point deficit but my point is those three drives right there kind of get glossed over as well just as important to the outcome of that game as that final goal line sequence in the final two minutes um that was just as wild in my opinion as as uh the goal line sequence that you brought up too
1: high leverage plays galore Mm -hmm. that is for sure Mm -hmm. luke braun i mean you can comment on some of those unsung heroes that luke touched on and it all leads up to those plays at the goal line. But just the sequence of events, and if you follow the bunny trail, how one thing led to the next, that's, what, that's what's mind-boggling about this game of all the things that had to go in the
3: Vikings' favor just to complete that comeback. And I think maybe the biggest thing that had to go in the Vikings' favor is Kirk Cousins finding a way to make a good game out of this. Because he was putting up a stinker. I mean, a couple interceptions that looked real bad. It was a, a really bad performance. Up until it wasn't.
0: <laughs> well, and, to point out, because just to add on to that, real quick, we forget that he tripped on his own center. I think twice, right? And one time twice. it was Ingram both just,
3: times. And Ingram, Ingram sorry, once Ingram, another man. game, and I'm pretty sure it's the same problem. He's taking the wrong first like, step on certain run plays, and it's very – its first keeps all, tangling people up.
0: Yeah, how the hell is that happening? Also, why is – he? so he trips on his own guy. The, this is the first time, and just throws it back to Cook. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. just swallow that ball. It's so weird that Kirk Cousins, who is so <laughs> risk-averse, so risk-averse, like all of a sudden out of nowhere, he goes, no, nah, I'm going to be a hero, and it just throws it back to town and Cook.
1: <laughs> and he had – no, That's he had he another does. lateral way late in the mode. game too. That no mm-hmm.
3: one's talked about that, but there was like a yeah that was ball. not supposed to be a lateral. I'm pretty sure that was sure. not supposed to, sure supposed to be a lateral. A forward Cook swing pass heads that, up. You
1: know, fell Cook on that. Under. There were just a lot of little heads up plays too,
3: along the line that that kind of led to all this. Um, if you guys but then, could like all of that happens, and then like how many career defining throws did Kirk Cousins have after about halfway through the third quarter of this game? I mean, there mm-hmm. were so many that were just oh. like absolutely mind melting rockets some of them taking shots some of them just because of the Mm. difficulty of the window he had to hit some of them i mean just like firing an insane ball to the sideline 15 yards downfield while getting drilled and not being able to step into it like just awesome play and like the thing uh under me matt puts up something says he goes conservative to yolo i don't even know how yolo (laughs) it is i mean the the fourth down fourth and 18 to jefferson was very much like just go get it please but I mean, some of that is just really accurate and just like finding windows that not a lot of dudes in this league can find. And that's why, like I said it on the postcast, like that's a playoff game. That's what that's what playoff quarterbacks do when they win playoff games is Mm -hmm. especially when, hey, you're up against a good team. They're going to give you some licks. They're going to make you make some mistakes. You're going to throw an interception because they're good. You respond to that by pulling something out that's just as good and throwing it right back in their face. That's the kind of game that makes me think, okay, if we get in the postseason, Kirk Cousins might be able to do something here.
2: Yeah, no, I'm like- with Luke. There was certainly some, you know, articulate nature to some of those throws. He wasn't just blindly closing my eyes. I'm going to throw it as hard as I can to Jefferson and, and hope for the best two things I really noticed. And Sam and I kind of touched on superior sports talk one you're seeing now Kirk's, trust with J.J. throwing balls that under Zimmer specifically on that short lease hey you cannot turn the ball over on this team that's not the way we're constructed to win he would never throw Uh, he's thrown it before he's out of his uh, break Uh, he's blanketed double covered. doesn't matter that trust really grew yesterday in a big way and then secondly Sam brought it up on the Superior Sports Show today is that Normally, when Kirk makes those two first horrible interceptions, one to KJ, I'll give him a little bit of a break there. KJ got bumped a little bit. uh, But that Mm. second interception, just a head scratcher. Normally, he goes to the (laughs) sideline and says, all right, that's it. I I am not going to be aggressive the rest of the game. I can't make any more mistakes like that. For him to make those throws that Luke mentioned – when the game was on the line, the way he did after he made those horrible uh, turnovers earlier in the game, that's a new Kirk that we just really haven't seen. And we're all wondering when KOC was brought in, all right, this offense is going to be better. It's going to look funner. It's going to look a little different, more razzle dazzle, but, What's it going to actually do for Kirk Cousins and J.J.'s, like their development? I think we're starting to see just some little nuances you can't write down on paper or see in the box score that uh, KOC and that relationship between the coach and the quarterback has really helped Kirk Cousins since KOC's been brought in here. So I'm with Luke. Yeah, those throws at the end, man, those, those weren't just YOLO balls. Those were impressive throws by Kirk Cousins. We just have, really haven't seen, um, you know, consistently anyways, late in games when the game's on the line, big pressure moments. From that guy, Kirk Cousins, uh, in the past. Is his mind quieted? Well, I
0: think I, I, think... Ooh, <laughs> I, think, that, I think you're out of something. I think the other thing is he he every player talks about this. He he sincerely wants to get other players involved. I thought once Hawkinson stepped up, um, mm-hmm. Osborne was kind of the odd man out. He keeps going back to Osborne. Um, yeah. you know, like he there's some talk of uh, you know, is Thielen fully healthy? He's going to Thielen in big situations, and even going back to Hawkinson. He'd be justified in saying, I'm not going to throw the ball anywhere near this guy. I know he's talented. He's been here four days, right? And I think instead he saw how he studied. I think he helped him a little bit with the terminology. And Hawkinson's turned into this threat. So for how flawed Kirk can be at times, he did turn it around, obviously, in this game. Also continues to, you know, use the other weapons, hopefully, to open up Justin Jefferson. Because obviously, if he just throws to Jefferson every time, someone's going to figure out how to defend him.
2: Does – I I look at Hawkinson's stat line here and no touchdowns, but what, seven catches, 45 yards, like, so you know, pretty good. That's a pretty good for bunch of just in downs. general. Do yeah. the Vikings win both these t- last two weeks? Do the Vikings win either of these two games since, since uh, Hawkinson's been here? No. Because last week, I, I, I don't can almost so. say for sure, I don't think they win that game last week. This week, I know the stat line doesn't wow you like maybe it did last week, especially knowing what Tom mentioned. He was only here for four or five days. I don't know if they win this game either. I mean, Hawkinson, that addition has been so vital for the offense and Kirk Cousins. Think about this too. How did the Lions let this happen? How
1: enamored
2: did (laughs) they (laughs) seem? Thank you,
1: Detroit. Johnny Munt was occasionally like out snapping Irv Smith. It was like a Mm 50-50 split. And we were thinking, man, they either really dislike Irv Smith or they really love Johnny Munt. And I think it's Mm -hmm. clearer now. They just were not high on Irv Smith. Because Hawkinson comes in, and suddenly Munt is an afterthought. Like, it's all Hawkinson now. And that's after one week in the building. Um, And he came up with a gigantic fourth and six on that penultimate drive where they pulled within uh, four points, which was a big play in the game. And one of many big plays that people will forget about. And one of many players I think that people will forget about. People won't think about Hawkinson as a linchpin in this game. Uh, Let's go around the circle. Start with Spinman. I know you love to give give credit to your unsung heroes. You only get to pick one, because sometimes you pick, like, five. You only get to pick one. Um, Your number one unsung hero from this one.
2: There is a lot of them, but I'm going to listen – And pick one. I'm going to hone in on one guy. I tweeted it, uh, I think it was last night. Blake Brandle needs to be put near the top, replacing the number one offensive tackle in the NFL on the road. In that situation, and hold your own against Von Miller and company, just essential to Kirk moving the ball downfield. And this is why, like, guys like me and Luke, we kind of nerd out on day three of the draft and in training camp, who's winning the second and third team battles, because it's like a given. At some point during the season, every team in the league is going to need to call on a backup to step up into the spotlight and fill in. Guys that don't get talked about a lot, You got here you got a six-round pick from Oregon State in 2018, kind of grinds his way through the practice squad, lingers around, finally makes the 53-man uh, roster, works his way up to the second team. And it was just like yesterday, all that hard work paid off for the guy, and he held his own in just one of the most difficult positions and situations you could probably draw up for on paper for a backup to come in in that, um, you know, down distance and situation at that point in the game, he helped the Vikings be on the right side of history yesterday. So I just can't say enough about Blake Brandle, his performance as Derisaw went down and, you know, those aren't easy shoes to fill. He made the most of his opportunity and who knows too, like Derisaw probably going to be in concussion protocol Um, he may be starting next week now versus Micah Parsons and the Dallas Cowboys. We'll see. Mm
1: -hmm. Tom.
0: Duke Shelley. I didn't know much about him. I know he got elevated, uh, came up with a big breakup, right? I think it was on Knox in the corner of the end zone. So it might've been pass interference. Didn't get called. Doesn't matter. Um, I think the fact that he was physical on that play made the breakup, uh, called into action. Good on him.
2: How mm-hmm. about the coach's decision too to put in Shelley after Booth got kinda a little burned yeah. a little bit there and then the flag yeah, did we get a? that's a lot of guts w- for the coach to be like, all yeah, right, Was let's that throw in the a guy straight we hook? just activated. Uh there was no Booth injury or gave anything? Up just six took of
1: seven when targeted with the, with the penalty not included. I, I was wondering though, what happened to Chris Boyd? How is Boyd not next on the depth <laughs> yeah, chart? Right? Mm,
2: yeah.
3: Still stealing souls <laughs> yeah, on special teams. Up. I, yeah. yeah, I guess so.
2: Yeah, and and honestly, too, that's a good point. Like, I'll have to go back. Maybe Booth was on the field. Uh, he's just, for the majority up until that point, he was on that left side of the field. Then you see Duke Shelley at the end after that massive uh, flag, that pass interference call. So I just assumed he wasn't on the field, but I guess we should triple check that. But I think he did just, yeah, a straight hook. I think he just got pulled.
3: Yeah. So uh, amidst all of this chaos and everything that happened to this game, It's very easy to miss, but I'm pretty sure Harrison Phillips had the game of his career. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Seven pressures, high. Yeah, Mm -hmm. seven pressures. What? (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's dominating on the interior, and the the Bills run game looked like it was going to be a big problem going in um, with that first drive, that first touchdown drive that they put together that was basically all run game. The run game really dried up after that, and a lot of that is Harrison Phillips being able to occupy those gaps, split double teams. Uh, Harrison Phillips... (sighs) Went and had his revenge game, which <laughs> not much of a revenge game. He left on very amicable terms with Buffalo. <laughs> but he showed out in, in his old uh, stomping grounds. And I, I think in, in that way where there's not like one play where you go, man, they just don't win that game if Jefferson doesn't make that crazy catch. Totally true. One play that you can point to. Harrison Phillips' impact, I think, spreads out a little bit more across the whole thing. And I don't think they're in a position for those plays to matter without him.
1: Defensive line, spectacular once again. I mean, and Allen reduces their impact because of the way that he's able to yeah. get out of the pocket and make plays. On plays where he was legitimately pressured, he just makes something out of it with his legs. And that's that's what happens when you play the Bills. Josh Allen is the great eraser. Um, he makes the offensive line mistakes look better. He makes the the good coverage moot because he'll run for a first down or he'll buy time and create a first down with his legs. But Zadarius Smith, we haven't even mentioned nine more pressures in this game, and he's playing not on a perfect knee. You know that that's that's epic stuff, and he I think he continues to lead the league in pressures um, after nine games. So you got to give a hat tip to him, to Phillips, to Daniel Hunter, and Buffalo doesn't try to run that much in a traditional way. They just scramble with Allen, but I thought the run defense, aside from like the opening drive, was was pretty good in this game and made Buffalo one-dimensional, even though they're pretty good when they're one-dimensional. Before we continue, I want to get into some more defensive talking points from this game because there's a lot to chew on there. Uh, Make sure to check out Locked On Sports today. It is insiders covering their local teams, taking you behind the scenes, a daily podcast that you can find on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's Locked On Sports today, available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, You know what? Let's turn this into a four-minute drill. Matt, you can wheel up the animation. We're going to talk about our takeaways from the Vikings' defensive performance. How do we evaluate it? Matt, go ahead and run it.
2: Start the clock. It's time to execute the four-minute drill. A minute
1: on the clock for each. Luke Endman, we'll start with you. I want your number one takeaway from this Vikings' defensive performance.
2: I think you mentioned it. You called him the eraser. I think anyone who gets Josh Allen playing that Josh Allen football, you're going to have a long day trying to stop him. Give credit to the entire defense battling through, sticking with it, despite all those third down conversions, whether he converted it with his legs, rolling it out of the pocket, hitting someone downfield, or just making something happen with his legs. It's a lot to ask, and at times it's just demoralizing to have those uh, chains move time and time again on third and long situations. But I thought the Vikings clamped down when they needed to the most. They opened the game. Luke just mentioned it, getting gashed by Singletary in the first quarter. Credit to Ed Donatel, who kind of made some good adjustments mid-game without his best nose tackle, mind you. Credit Harrison Phillips, had the game of his life, and to lose another corner, and Evans, when you're already down missing Dantzler, to have Booth Jr. get chewed up and they have the guts to put in the guy you just called up from the practice squad, I thought that was huge. They gave up a lot of yards. They give up a lot of down, or a lot of first downs, a lot of chunk plays. But when they needed to step up the most in crunch time, they did veterans on this team stepped up patrick peterson two interceptions in the red zone harrison smith huge breakup on Stephon diggs on third and 15 and uh of course eric hendricks falling on that ball in the end zone the veterans on the defense really uh rallied around everybody and, and won them that game i think in the end
1: tom
0: i've been a uh donatel defender i guess on my end i think uh <laughs> there was some excitement, I guess. First of all, Lupron, this is your fault. You wrote about his illusion of complexity on our website. I got super excited because that sounds super cool. Um, also, like I was like, you should bring the Vic fan you just seen, scheme. It seems like the right one um, uh, to bring over or whatever. Um, and I was curious how he was going to go from 3-4 four, or 4-3-3-4. Four, three, three, four. Um, Take the Philadelphia game out of there. Not a great performance, at least in the first half. They've held them under 30 points, I think, until this game. Um, Opponents, I was like, the offense should be able to score 30 points. I was more critical of the offense for not scoring enough. My concern here is what happens when you get late in the game. Against a player like Allen. Obviously, we're going to forget this because Peterson picked him off in the end zone at the end and they lost the game, but he looked undefendable because he could throw on the run, because he could scramble and improvise, and he has these weapons around him. I understand there was a non catch over there on the sideline that does influence the end of the game, but I was like, yeah, when like the prevents in the prevent, I don't know how it prevents anything. Ron. Look at that timing perfect.
3: <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> uh I want to highlight one guy on this and it's Patrick Peterson. My takeaway from this is that Patrick Peterson can still play. Um there's a, a lot of bluster about how old he is and how much slower he is now. And yeah, he is. He's definitely not running the way he ran in 2017. You wouldn't expect him to. Um but when you don't have have a speed advantage as a corner, there are a whole bunch of tools that you can use. To still make those plays, and and Patrick Peterson clearly can. He talked about after the game both of those interceptions; those weren't lucky breaks. That wasn't like Taylor Heineke just like serving up a softball to center field that you can just sort of like field and run back. Those were earned interceptions. That first one was a scramble drill. They were in man coverage, and he ran his guy out of bounds, which means I know I can freelance now. And he jumped a route, and that second one was even cooler. He knew that the bills would know what coverage the vikings were in he said yeah they're going to know that we're in this and this is how i know they like to attack it and this is how i'm going to subvert that and i'm going to get the interception that game knowledge and still having enough athleticism to cut underneath the ball to burst on it to be able to jump a route. i mean he's he's not 80 um he still has enough athleticism to pay off all of those insights yeah
1: Brian baldinger did a good Baldy breakdown on Peterson's performance, highlighting a lot of the stuff that you just talked about Luke um, can is opportunisticness a trait that can be learned because and you can start the clock by the way, I'm on the clock right now um because the Vikings are incredibly opportunistic, and I don't know whether that is something that is in their DNA, whether it's something that they are just fortunate to, to be, whether there's an element of luck to this. But the fact that they keep repeating this, where in the fourth quarters of games, they are able to take the ball away so regularly. I don't know if Ed Donatel can pat himself on the back about that. I don't know who it is that's, that's deciding that, hey, I'm going to make a play now. Or um, if they actually have the mentality that they're going to be more aggressive when they need to be more aggressive. But this seems to be something that this team is good at. And it's such an intangible quality because turnovers are random and they often are, you know, a result of what the other team gives you on a platter. But the Vikings just keep doing it. They turned Buffalo over four times yesterday and they needed all of them. Um, Unfortunately, they didn't capitalize on the fumble return in the first half, which was a huge play potentially in the game. uh, And ended up backfiring on them when they missed on a fourth and one. But opportunistic. It seems unsustainable, and yet, when you get nine games into a seventeen-game season, is it is it unsustainable? Can they can they keep it this up sustained. to some extent? <laughs> can they do it for another eight games and then four more in the postseason? Um, what what am I missing? Help me fill in the blanks from yesterday's game. What is okay? Let let's go this direction. What does it mean, big picture now? So you're eight and one. Your lead is still four and a half. Um, And you're half a game behind the Eagles. Do do the Eagles feel more catchable now that you've gotten Buffalo out of the way?
3: Braun. Sure. Yeah. And here's what I, the, the big picture thing. And I said this on the postcast too. Really high chance that if the Vikings want to win the Super Bowl, they're going to have to go into Philadelphia and beat the Eagles. That game looks a lot like this one. And this felt like a playoff game to me. Like this, this felt like two really good teams, leaving it all out there, going at it, weather sucks, it's outside, Vikings on the road, felt like a playoff game. And being able to win that kind of game, it's like sort of proof of concept. Um, but there's also a, a, a positioning thing to it, right? You get to um, get that much closer to clinching the division, which I, honestly, that's going to be wrapped up by December. <laughs> um, and then also it keeps you hot on the Eagles heels. The Eagles don't get to just run away with the with the one seed and, and that um, that that first round by. So there's the positioning to it. But I think it's more just like proof of concept. And I think the players feel that, you know, they, they feel like, yeah, that's a good team. And we just went and beat them what's your excuse now and if you really want to still say i think the vikings are fake you have to work so much harder now mm-hmm. to like bend it over and say well they got really lucky this time except if you ignore all the unlucky things that happened and also that it was a road game against a contending team like you have to you have to thread so many little needles and cherry pick so many little things if you want to disparage this to me it's it I, I guess the phrase proof of concept is what keeps coming to my mind that's what it it means to me as as a fan. And to them, I mean, they've always believed in themselves. KOC
1: yeah, I, basically I, said it was a proof of concept in his locker room speech that the Vikings posted. Mm-hmm. I'm
2: uh, yeah, I'm with like, like, like when you talk about the one seed, is that still attainable? Sure, I guess. But I look at the Philly schedule, Washington tonight at the Colts, Packers, Titans, Giants, Bears, Cowboys, Saints, Giants. Compared to, I, I mean, no gimmies in the NFL for sure, but I think all in all strength of schedule, it's about middle of the pack, maybe leans a little bit easier than than difficult. Vikings still have a, a really tough next three games coming up here. Um, but to Luke's point, it's not so much about the one seed. You're likely going to have to go into Philly if you want to go to win the Super Bowl. Um, I think now, like Luke said, proof of concept, it's the belief factor that we can win a game like this outdoor on the roads versus a tough team um, that can run the ball, that can score a lot of points, that has a great defense. Um, so now you've got that belief factor. And like Luke said, there's, there's a lot more excuses now, uh, or a lot less excuses, excuse me, um, for the Vikings making that case that they shouldn't be viewed as one of the best teams in the league right now.
1: Yeah, and how grateful, Tom, should Vikings fans be that... Um, Josh Allen did play, because if you have that exact same game against Keenum, they say, well, four turnovers, but Keenum Keenum was the quarterback.
0: I think the other thing is not just played, but uh, that he played like he did, right? I mean, I'm sure if you, like, looked at velocity on the ball or something, something was lost. I I just don't know how you have, like, a UCL injury. Don't practice for three days and you're just the same guy you were the week before. But um, you're right. I mean, I think it's a different tenor if Keenum plays let's be honest that's like really big revenge game factor right it's like a game that they should kind of win then and it's Case Keenum and Stefan Diggs run the miracle and like there is still some validity to that win it's it's a win on the road in a hostile environment against a really good team and and Keenum we know is capable and still had the weapons I think ultimately and I guess you guys are kind of getting us too the Vikings are just a high wire act I don't I don't think that's going to change this year what this confirmed for me is that somehow and i still don't totally understand this a team that led for 45 seconds against detroit a team that had to come back against heineke and the washington commanders uh, you know a team that let chicago back you go through all these games i don't understand how like they basically just beat the Bills kind of the same way. It's a be- it's a better played game, and I understand there's nuances and differences, but it still was a high wire act that went into overtime. That required a fumble in the end zone. That Josh Allen fumbled and this is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, I, I don't understand how this methodology works. I don't know how they keep winning. Um, having said that, in the next three games here, you're going to get an answer, right? I mean, you're, you're talking the Cowboys. You're talking the understand the Patriots issues. I do wonder uh, how O'Connell will treat Belichick, right? We saw McVay, boy genius, gets to the Super Bowl stares Belichick in the eyes and was like, I'm not messing with that guy. Right. And like, and then the, the jets who've been good, right. The jets beat the bills before this game. So, so I think, you know, we'll have three games here. We'll get an answer pretty quick, but who knows for all we know, this is a game that can, they can win situationally. They're well coached. I think it goes back to O'Connell too. You know, we know Zimmer under pressure, really an intense guy. I think there's something to having a guy on the sidelines. Who's a little more relaxed. Who wants these guys to play with a quieted mind. Who, who, um, it shows a lot of faith in him I noticed O'Connell as he came out to the podium this is pretty well after he's had a co- cool down period after giving his speech rings around his eyes a little bleary I mean this was emotional for him so it's not as that though he's not invested I just think he's kind of had this relaxed atmosphere and I think it taps into something good with these players so until they prove us wrong I guess this works you can keep winning games at the margins
2: Just had his fourth kid too, right? Like six days ago, something like that. So he's been through the ringer, man. But speaking of playoff pictures, just real quick here. I don't know we're wrapping up, but I just mentioned, okay, the Eagles have a pretty easy road. They should be the one seed. The Giants are seven and two. They're kind of breathing down their neck. They still have to play the Giants twice. If the Giants were to somehow sweep the Eagles, all of a sudden, that whole division and then the whole seeding looks completely different as well, and the Mm -hmm. Giants play the Lions next week, That should be a win. They play Washington twice still. So Giants have a pretty easy schedule coming up too. So I know everybody, including myself, is just wrapping it up with the bow. The number one seed goes to Philly, um, which makes sense. But it's a long way from over. I mean, there's still a lot of football left to be played.
1: You're absolutely right. And the Eagles do have the tiebreaker, which hurts the Vikings case. But if the Cowboys can do them a solid, if the Giants can do them a solid, Um, and you never know what's going to happen in Philadelphia or Minnesota for that matter, regard with regard to injuries. If a key player or two is out for a stretch that can completely impact the way the final two months goes. Um, so why is Dallas favored on Sunday? I think I would (laughs) have understood this before yesterday's results. I think I would have, can I,
0: but I know you guys are
1: actual gambling experts,
0: can I, can I, can I throw my non expert? So what I think happens. And again, you guys can tell me I'm wrong is that when it's Cowboys, Lakers, Yankees, like these marquee teams, Duke, whatever, like so many people gamble on them that it like screws with the lines. Like they kind of have to adjust for like the irrationally confident fan. I, I also, I, otherwise I just don't understand how the Cowboys coming off a loss um, are favored in this game. Like it, it feels like if there's any time to kind of respect what the Vikings are doing, it's coming off a win in Buffalo.
2: It's the come down effect. It's exactly what happened in Philly after the yeah. Minneapolis miracle. There's something to be said about winning such an emotional roller coaster game and then coming back the next week and giving 100%. Meanwhile, the Cowboys, they're going to come back hungry. You know, coming off that tough loss in Lambeau, um, they're going to be fighting and, and you know, going to be on their P's and Q's. I think, uh, and Luke, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that has something to do with it. Because you're right, Sam. I'm with you. I saw that. I go, what? Two points? Mm-hmm. Dogs at home coming off that win pick that's, sense. Sense. that's the only thing I can think of. That's the only thing I can think of. There is something to be said. There's some truth about that come down factor the next week following that big emotional win,
3: yeah, I'm with Sam. I, I thought it would be a pick'. Um, mm-hmm. but I, throughout the entire season, if you look at like the projection models, like the five thirty eights or whatever the PFF models and stuff, it's kind of always been higher on the Cowboys than the Vikings. So I wonder if that's still there is just this sort of genuine um idea that is popular, especially among like betters and the sharps and the markets and all that, that no, the Cowboys are just a better team than the Vikings. And look, Cowboys are good. They got this Michael Parsons thing going on, Dak Prescott's back, they're cooking, they're humming. They're like you said, um, they're in the the race for the NFC East, even though Philly's running away with everything. Like they're still keeping up there and it's not over like it is in the NFC North. Um, so respect to the Cowboys. I think the market just thinks they're a better team than the Vikings. And Hey, if you think they're wrong about that, go to bet online, put a buck on it.
1: (laughs) The analytics might suggest that. And the Cowboys defense might suggest that they are a really good team. And, you know, they and Buffalo are probably, you know, kindred spirits here at six and three they probably have much greater aspirations than being like the sixth seed in their respective conferences. Mm -hmm. And they very well could make playoff runs. Um, But you know, they lose a coin flip game to green Bay. Bills lose a coin flip game to Minnesota yesterday. Uh, Our final segment of every show is party fouls where we talk about the biggest blunders of the week. Let's get into
2: it. It's time to tell you who spilled their proverbial drink on the sofa get ready for this week's party foul
1: mine will be game related um and a couple different ways you could go with this I'm gonna say the lack of booth review and no not Andrew booth the lack of booth review <laughs> on the Gabe Davis catch it's curious that was a terrible pun I'm
2: I regret it instantly um yeah too I, big a play uh, n- no, totally with yeah. you. Um, another another um, facet of the game there that just kind of mind-boggling considering you've got a dedicated guy for this, right? The NFL hires somebody to count 12 men on the field. And I didn't believe it. I thought it was Photoshopped. I saw it on Twitter after the game. But 5'17", in overtime, first and goal at the two. Bills had 12 defenders on the field. They tackled Cook for a three-yard loss. How does nobody see that? How does that not get called? It just kind of adds to the plethora of already missed calls that the Vikings had to kind of deal with and kind of you know push their way through that twelve men on the field. That should just be so obvious. So, party foul on the official uh, officials there, Sam. I'm with you. That one's tough.
1: Horse collar and was, that can, was that's questionable. The holding on Darisaw was questionable. Yeah. The, the yeah. non call on Hawkinson, non call on JJ. You could you could rattle off a good half dozen.
2: Yeah.
3: That's why the pass interference in the end zone with the the duke shelley plays like we were owed we were owed more than that honestly
2: makeup call (laughs) oh damn it
0: yep i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna call a party fall on myself i don't know am i allowed to do that it's quite literally a party foul um went to the game we all know about buffalo bills fans them jumping through the flaming tables dizzy bat and running into a bus i'm sure you guys have seen that one uh (laughs) these guys party hard and it's not there are certain Lots that are like further away from the stadium. I think they're independently owned um, where things get even more. I was, they don't let the Ubers anywhere near the stadium. So I could barely see the lights as I was getting out of the Uber. I'm sure it looked like I got dropped off at the wrong spot. I looked ready for the airport button down as square as can be a little half zip, uh, carrying my bag. Cause I was taking the flight out that night backpack. Credential, little bit of a target stood out a little bit, especially when it's literally just all, you know, blue and red Buffalo Bills fans. I had to look like the biggest goober, like on planet Earth, like trying to carry my bags through all that stuff. Yeah, had a sweat going, even though it was like, you know, 43 and drizzling out. Um, You lost, man. I
2: don't think you're supposed to be here. Sir, if I you're going to come like this. within this 100 yards, you need to sign this waiver immediately.
1: <laughs> There's a great they SNL sketch water. from last week uh of Jets, Jets Tailgaters. Really just having Tom. yeah, Tom's dead. Jets Tailgaters <laughs> just having like these benign conversations about school and and work and their kids. And but then, whenever someone from the opposing team walks by, in this case Buffalo, in the sketch it was Buffalo, they keep absolutely nailing these fans with trash talk, and the fans that come by are progressively more and more vulnerable. Like like it goes from like adults to kids to like people in wheelchairs, and they're just absolutely torching
3: them. Um, I think that's what it's like to go to a night game at the Link.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mm-hmm. so. I- because that vikings game was at night you could get in at 5 30. i was at the door at 5 30 and there still were drunk fans messing with me but the bills one, i was kind of half tempted to see it i showed up a little later than i intended i thought the uber would get me in a little bit closer more than anything i was like half tempted to like just jump through a table and live it up a little bit just went in
2: bucket list gotta do it once was did the yeah. vikings fans travel well from what you saw tom
0: yeah, I mean, there were still Vikings fans out there. The the uh, Sun Country added an extra flight. Our whole flight was filled with Vikings fans, um, with the exception of like three Bills fans who just kind of rode it out, especially after that loss. Um, but I, I would say like for the context, I mean, you can't like without that sun country flight that they added late, you have to fly through like Chicago, Detroit, or even like Charlotte or something to get out there. So it's not really like a a convenient route. And I was saying before, I mean, I think some of these places, you go to Arizona, or Florida, or whatever, LA, you just have Minnesota people who are there. And then that many more people going, Hey, I want to see a little sunshine. It's been dark and gray for like, you know, 14 days straight here or whatever. So, um, it's just not, it's not the environment you would, find like with that Arizona game or whatever it, it was definitely more bills um fans than anything else but you could see it's you know purple in there and f- as far as like away fans go I mean Luke you remember the Kansas City fans I think they were great oh yeah certain fan bases I think they welcome you in and want you to enjoy it mm-hmm. um Philadelphia is not like that right and this is more yeah. on the on the Kansas City Philadelphia scale this is more Kansas City I think I think people in Buffalo are generally pretty nice it's very close to Canada bat out there i think a bit of the, the you know canada nice out there or whatever so um i to my knowledge the people i talk to they love the experience of being a vikings fan there having said that they were a distinct minority it was mostly blue in that stadium
2: mm-hmm.
1: thursday's show will include an appearance from ron johnson we'll see if he has anything to rip luke Braun for this week i feel like that was <laughs> a good discourse last week though we we really we patched up a lot of issues. You each have respect for each other. Nobody's upset. I think that we're kumbaya around the Thanksgiving season. Kumbaya. I think that that's how it should be.
3: We'll, we'll see what he has to say about my personal life and relationships. <laughs> on he has gotten
1: personal. Did you get cyber you. bullied? Yeah. No, what happened? He went. I missed there. it. Are you all right?
3: No, I just got real bullied. Which <laughs> oh, is, you I mean, straight yeah. up bullied. Oh. I mean, Arif was here, so at all least he was, has
1: the guts to do it to your okay. face and not, you know, hide yeah, behind a keyboard. Totally,
3: Totally. Right. Yeah, no, that's all's fair in love and war. That's, that means he respects a Free country. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Top Shrier <laughs> at t schreier three zonecoveragecom dot com. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thank you. Luke and Manik. I'm losing my voice. <laughs> Luke and Luke. Uh, you can find Inman on Superior Sports Talk. You can find Braun on On Vikings and the On Vikings postcast. And find me on the Ron Johnson Show and on Twitter at Sam Ekstrom. Thanks so much for joining us. That was a crazy game. This is On Sports Minnesota, free and available. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Download the app on Amazon Fire, Roku, and uh, check out all the rest of our shows as well. Like, comment, subscribe on the YouTube uh, video. For Luke, Luke, and Tom, I'm Sam. So long on the Minnesota Football Party. A hey, Prime members.